True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. I'm your host, Justin Fraser, here with another awesome episode. I'm here with Sean DeMartel. Sean from the Multifamily Takeoff podcast has quite the story for us today. Sean, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it uh, for all your listeners. Hopefully I can uh, provide some value to you guys today, learn a thing or two on not to make the same mistakes that I've made. Well, so we're so grateful that you've uh, agreed to come on and, and share a story that could be a little tough to, to relive. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's something that I think is incredibly important for our, our listeners to hear because learning from, you know, successes is great. But as uh, most of our, our guests who come on share, share some tough stories, but that's the best way to learn. And so I, I tend to like to learn from, I let other people learn from my mistakes as I'm very open on this podcast about the, uh, the multitude of mistakes that we make through, through managing multifamily and uh, having guests that are willing to do the same is really, really excellent. So uh, before we even start, I want to say, say thank you for that. Um, and Sean, let's go ahead and uh, tell us about your podcast before anything else. So the podcast, the Multifamily Takeoff Podcast, thank you, by the way, for letting me plug the podcast. Uh, it's a podcast all about multifamily. It's usually about hour-long episodes. We started this uh, about a year ago, actually, almost to the day. And uh, we started that podcast after, you know, studying multifamily and realizing that, you know, getting, bringing in top people to learn from them was going to not only help us, but also provide value to a lot of people. And we would hope that that value would reciprocate. But our podcast uh, has, has shown us a lot of success. We've been able to bring on all kinds of top operators. And um, I encourage anybody to go to give that a listen. Um, but um, yeah, um, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's more of a long form show and uh, it's served us well so far. Oh, that's, that's really great. Uh, I highly recommend you guys give it a listen. I've enjoyed the episodes I've listened to. You've had some really great guests on there and uh, you want to learn more about multifamily, you know, that's, that's the way to do it. Obviously we, we all love podcasts here. So give a shout out to my friend, Sean, and go check out multifamily takeoff for sure. Absolutely. Um, so uh, Sean, let's tell, tell them before we get into your story about your 32 units, tell us a little bit about you because I know this 32 unit was your first deal in real estate total. So uh, before we even talk about that, we've got to figure out how, how did you even come across this 32? Unit? What, what, you know, how'd you get started? What made you decide to get into to multifamily investing? For sure. I'm going to give you guys the abridged version real quick. So uh, my background is in air traffic control. That's actually still my W2 job. I haven't been able to quit it just yet. So myself and my two partners are all three air traffic controllers down here in Southern California. I was an air traffic control in the Navy for five years, got out, got hired by the FAA, met those two guys, and we were just both obsessed with real estate. Uh, my other two partners already had, you know, some small multifamily, a couple of single families and condos that they were renting out. And we were constantly chatting real estate and our desire to grow and get into multifamily. And then one day the partnership just kind of formed. One of us was just like, hey, let's just go for it. Let's get, get right into the multifamily and stop beating around the bush. Like if we do this slowly one at a time on our own, it's going to take way longer. So let's put our money together and go for it. 
Um, and that's when that decision was made for the partnership. And that's also, by the way, why it's called the multifamily takeoff is that's a little spin uh, on it. See there. So I love it. I <laughs> yeah. love it. Cause I, I was envisioning like the first time I listened to your episode, I was like, Oh, you know, taking off multifamily, like quick acceleration, but the whole air traffic control angle. Exactly. Smart. You got it. You have a, a brander on your team, like someone who's familiar with marketing. Mike is the brander. He's, he's, yeah. we always divert to him. He comes up with like the name, name for rebranding the apartment. He comes up, became as our other name, which is pack three capital. That's our branch. That's going to be doing mm-hmm. syndications. But, uh, yeah, he, he did a great job with that one. I, I love it. So we kind of branded it that way, going off our, our, our history together. So anyways, we uh, the three of us decided to put our, our money together. And without going too far down the rabbit hole, all three of us liquidated our 401ks in order to get this, this 32-unit property. So we were going all in on multifamily and knew that we wanted to quit our jobs. So we started looking out of state in the Midwest. We picked a couple of different markets that we liked because we liked the market fundamentals for a couple of different reasons, you know, population growth, jobs, ability to get in at affordable prices where we could actually also compete and, and get the attention of brokers because a couple of guys, newbie guys trying to go to, you know, Dallas, Fort Worth and all of a sudden get good deals sent their way is way harder than you think for right. the listeners out there. Well, so anyway, pause, yeah. pause real quick on that because why? Why is it hard for someone that's new that just wants to go buy a 32 unit to, to go to Dallas? The reason why it's hard is because it's hyper competitive and there's already so many people established in those markets. Okay. And those markets are hot. That's where a lot of uh, a lot of jobs are moving. A lot of the population is moving. So if me, Sean and pack three capital, I go to the brokers and I'm like, Hey guys, you know, uh, they're going to, they're going to uh, vet me very hard because I'm vetting them. They're vetting me. They're vetting me more than I'm vetting them actually. And they're going to say, okay, what, how many, what, what are your assets under management? Who's on your team, et cetera, et cetera. And if, if I don't have much under my belt, it's way harder for me to get the good deal sent to me as compared to all these other guys they have on their email contact list. And they're getting bombarded with people from California and groups from everywhere trying to go to those kind of markets and get the good assets. So the reason why we were we wanted to try and stay away from those like primary markets like that is because we don't want to be one of 50 that are trying to get the good deals. And even if we get a good deal sent to us, we're going to be bidding on that deal with like 30 other groups plus. There's literally that many people that will be bidding on that, yep. that deal. So to get to best and final, it's possible, but it's way harder from guys out of state like ourselves with lacking experience. That's why. That was a really great summary, and and I 100% agree. Yeah. So we we we've decided to try to find some markets that can meet our criteria while also allowing ourselves um, to better compete. And so we found like uh, markets like Indianapolis that we liked. We liked uh, Louisville, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, a couple parts of town like that. So we're the way we got this deal was uh, networking with the brokers. My partner, Rich, is our main guy for that. We fly him out to these markets. He takes these guys out to dinner and really tries to, to get to know them personally so that we can try to make a connection. That's how we got this deal sent to us. It was a 32-unit deal. This deal, it took, you know, we had to convince the bank to lend us uh, over a million bucks. We had to get the deal, which we, was hard enough. Um, and then, you know, we got this from a mom and pop owner. Pop passed away. Mom was selling the assets. And mom was uh, really firm on her price. Um, and it wasn't a great deal, but it was a pretty good deal where we can uh, make double our money. But um, it needed a lot of work. This was a heavy value add. So that there was risk involved with this. And for guys that are brand new to this, that's quite a bit of risk. But we knew that if we wanted to continue to grow, we've got to jump in. 
So we went, we went all in on this and we went for it because we knew we had it to get the experience and just start getting deals taken down. What I love about that um, really ties to what you said about the, the conversation of Dallas is that, you know, you found a deal. What market is this in? This is in uh, Greenwood, Indiana, which is about 15 minutes south of Indianapolis. Greenwood, Indiana. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in the so suburbs. you found you're in the Midwest and you found this deal and it was good, not great, but you had the long term in mind, like we got to get into something. It's not going to be a bad deal. We're not going to lose money. You said double money right. over some time frame. Great. So, you know, for me, I think it's more important to get started in the right direction than to sit because you very easily could have sat there and waited for, for the brokers to call about the, the grand slam in Dallas or, or any market for that matter and never gotten around to it. Agreed. Um, but, but as I'm sure you'll tell us, you know, you've, you start, you have some success and then the next is more successful and no one's ever going to get rich off their first you know, 32 unit deal. It's really just the first step in the right direction. Agree. A hundred percent. I really do think for a lot of listeners out there, it, this business, the cat's out of the bag. Okay. More and more people are learning that this business is very lucrative. That is very recession resi- resilient. A lot of people who might've been investing in other asset classes are now coming to multifamily. It gets more and more popular by the week. And your show and my show are not helping us as far as that's concerned. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but, that's absolutely true. <laughs> so, so with that being said, that that's why, you know, our thought press was like that. But also, you know, just just getting started so we can get in the game, get some experience. You know, the banks, it's hard to get lending on your first deal. The banks are like, okay, what's your net worth? What's your experience? So not only are you trying to convince a broker to send you good deals, you got to convince a bank to lend you a, you know, a couple million bucks. If you're getting, you have to convince everybody that you're legit. Yeah. (laughs) Even when you might be feeling some doubt about that as well. Right. It's like, believe me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They want to see your business plan, all kinds of stuff. So we got into this deal. And like I said, it wasn't great. We tried to negotiate with the seller because we started finding things that needed to be fixed that she wasn't forthcoming with. And at the end of the day, we closed on this deal. It took a long time to close. I think we had this thing under contract for literally like five months because it like went to probate situation because her brother thought that he had some rights to the property. So they had to go to court. The judge had to allow them to sell the property. It was all kinds of stuff just getting to close. Um, so we got to this property to close and something started going right and something started going wrong. And um, which do you want to hear first? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I know you want to get into to what went wrong, but let's start. Uh, tell, give us a win. Let's start with a win. What, what went right? So the win with this property is that first of all, the markets were well below rent, or excuse me, the rents were well below market, um, and that's because mom and pop did not. This property is a 1968 vintage, and they basically didn't do anything to it, maybe since 1968. Okay. So the property, the the rents were well below market. So when we were go in and start renovating the units, we were able to get the rent increases immediately. No problem. We were getting $150 plus rent increases, which is exactly what we needed in order to get the returns that we wanted. And that's about the only good thing that happened from, from day one, which luckily multifamily is very forgiving if you can keep bumping up those rents. So a lot of these mistakes have been kind of washed away a little bit, mm-hmm. but it would have been way cooler if those uh, bad things didn't happen. <laughs> well, you know, if you're on um, uh, probably almost any other podcast, you tell me you come in, you got your first deal, rents went up $150. We're all popping champagne saying that's mm-hmm. awesome. Nice job, Sean. And by the way, nice job, Sean. Like that's great. You got you got it. Thank you. You're getting rent bumps. 
That's really awesome. But there's this whole other side to it. So tell us what else happened in the course of owning so, the property. The, one of the first things that happened, and that some of it was expected, but was the mass exodus of, of people. Okay, mm. So this is something that as you study this business and read a lot of books, you'll hear a lot of people warn you about this, that when you're repositioning an asset that's in particularly bad shape, um, a lot of people might start leaving when they see that new ownership with new management and new rules are in place and they're not going to let this whole um, the bad stuff fly. Well, yep. initially there were four units that were vacant and she asked us if we wanted her to fill them, uh, try to fill them. And we told her no. The reason why we told her no is because we don't want her filling them with her quality of tenants, which weren't good. Good call. Um, we would rather put our tenants in there and renovate those units. So it started out with four vacant units. Well, come time for close, now we're up to eight, okay? Four people just like wow. left. Yep. So now we have eight vacancies on a 32-unit property. That's a lot of vacancy, mm -hmm. okay? Um, and with when you got the new debt, which is on there, we're, our break-even is not looking so break-even. It's looking uh, break-negative. Yep. So we're bleeding money a little bit, which we were a little bit prepared for, but it just took a lot longer to get the ball rolling. So we started renovating the eight units right off of the bat, and then we finished renovating those eight units and then the property starts sitting on the market a little bit longer than we anticipated. And that one of the reasons for that was because our property manager wasn't properly marketing these properties. So we started secret shopping our own property, hitting it up on Zillow, messaging that we're interested, uh, hitting it up on apartments.com, messaging, hey, would love to come check out this property and not getting a response for uh, a week. And that was a big red flag. It's like, okay, great. Now our property manager isn't properly marketing this property. So we essentially took that over and we paid a leasing agent. We renegotiated the lease up fee with our property manager and we started paying a, a local real estate agent as a leasing agent to show our properties. And then we literally have people on our team that are monitoring, you know, Zillow, we Facebook ads, which by the way, if you are not, if you're listening to the show and you do not use Facebook to market your property, you're making an enormous mistake because almost all of our leads are Facebook. That's true. So, we were able to drastically increase our leads through um, heavily focusing on that. And that was influenced by Neil Bawa, by the way. I know you know Neil. And Neil Bawa was an amazing asset manager when it comes to this. And he employs people to do these types of things for him as well. Yep. So we started doing that. And we were able to start filling it up better. So that's one of the things that went wrong. Is that, And then more people started leaving. So we're in the middle of renovating eight units. And then a couple people just will leave. One person left, by the way. And as some of these people leave... When we inspected the units, the units weren't as bad as they left them. Some people will leave. And again, these are not the best class of tenants. And they'll just like pack up and leave before the lease is over, not say anything, just stop paying. And then they'll leave and they'll leave all kinds of furniture. One lady left a bird just flying around inside of our apartment with a cat and just like never came to pick it up. Like, so like our pet property bird? Yeah, my, our property manager was actually feeding the animals until the HSBCA came and picked up the animals because they didn't want them to die. So, you know, it, there was some rough waters initially with that. And then... Well, let's unpack that a little bit, if you don't mind. Do I know yeah, you've got another one for us, but oh, yeah. there's a few, thing, few things in there that, that I took notes on. The first thing that you said is that when you're repositioning an asset, people will leave because of the new rules. New sheriff in town is what I normally mm -hmm. call it. And we actually factor that into our business plan now, where, as you know, we just closed on a, on a property. And uh, I think we've got, when we close, 3% vacancy. And I'm pretty much expecting to get up to 10 in the next, in the first two months, because I know that tenants aren't going to like the fact that I'm 
not letting them fight in the street or I'm lighting up the dark corners of the property or whatever mm-hmm. we're doing by having set operations and policies that tenants might've been able to get away with in the past. And so that's something that anyone who's going to take over a new property should absolutely uh, take a note of and, and plan for that. That Just because I've got four vacant units right now, uh, chances are you're going to get at least a few more. Uh, exactly. Um, exactly. And uh, that's very important. And But you can actually usually build a business plan around that because sometimes you need the units. Like on this property that we just bought, I need those units to renovate. So I want tenants to leave because I, I want to start my renovation plan right away. Mm-hmm. So you, you knew you were going to be bleeding money initially, but now you've got twice as many vacancies as you thought. Mm-hmm. But I love that you, so how long was it when you had finished renovating a unit, that first unit that you've sort of wrapped up, to you said it's been sitting on the market too long. Like what, what was that process like? The time frame of we finished this thing, we're all proud of it, right? Contractors are done. Looks Why beautiful. isn't anyone moving in? Why isn't anyone moving in? What's happening? Like go through that process a little bit. So what you know, uh, we expect it to take anywhere from well, within the first week or two with putting a property on the market, we expect to get a certain number of leads, right? And a certain number of leads that would uh, lead to, or interest that would lead to uh, scheduling a tour. And then a certain number of people that schedule a tour to actually go on the tour. And there's a certain number of people those to submit an application or show interest, right? Well, within the first like week or two, we're not really getting, our property manager would give us a report on uh, the interest in the property. And there might be like, you know, 20 people that were interested and then nobody scheduled a tour or something like that. So the way they were getting us those numbers is that if somebody basically like clicked on like the Zillow ad and like showed interest and Zillow would like shoot them a report or something and then they would give us that report, but they weren't really following up with these people, which was key. And um, after, you know, like two weeks go by and we don't have any applications and our rents, we've already reduced rents like you know, to where some, we should be getting some kind of action. Alarm started going off. We're like, okay, why is this taking so long? Uh, that's when we started secret shopping another, you know, now we're another week in because we wanted to get, see how long it took our property manager to respond to us so that we can bring them numbers and say, okay, we sent this email on this day and it took you five days before we ever heard anything back or we never even heard anything back in most of the cases. So um, then, you know, another week goes by and it ends up being about a month before we really are like, okay, we need to completely change this, this strategy because a month cannot go by with a property sitting on the market because every week we calculate, I don't remember what it was, but every week we're losing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars. So that was when we decided to reformulate a strategy for having these leads result in applications and leases being signed. And once we implemented that new strategy, which I kind of briefly outlined earlier, uh, hiring a leasing agent that will actually walk the unit with these people and be a salesman to responding to people rapidly, same day responses on Facebook, Zillow, apartments.com, the whole lot. And after we did that strategy within a week or two, we had like all those units filled up. It was just like that. Perfect. That's it. It takes, it takes attention. It takes responsiveness Good on you for secret shopping your property that quickly and uh, recognizing that problem very fast and putting mm-hmm. the data back in front of the PM and saying, you know, what, what's going on? So I'm not exactly clear. Did you fire the property manager and hired a leasing agent separate or you kept them on to sort of do the bookkeeping and back end and stuff and you took the leasing side of it? Right. From them? We did the, the latter that you just mentioned. We okay. kept on the property manager and the reason why we kept on the property manager is there's a lot of things that, that we do like that they did. There is a, a bunch of things that they do great. 
and this was an area that they didn't do well, so why didn't we fire them? When you have a property that's 32 units, you're kind of limited on property managers sometimes in certain markets, right? Because some property managers, they won't touch it unless it's 100 units or more, or 150 plus. And then other property managers might really only focus on single family and not have as much experience in this space. So then when you take all of those out, you might have a couple of options for uh, property managers that are willing to take on this property and have the wherewithal and expertise. And out of those, we interviewed them all very, very extensively. And this was the one we liked best, but this one was great still at other things like great at, you know, um, uh, quickly responding to new work orders for, you know, maintenance requests, like within the same day or the next day, they were always fixing it very, very quickly. Um, They do a good job on the renovations. Um, their pricing is pretty, pretty good on, on the renovations as well. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of things we liked about them and we just felt like even if we hired another property manager, simply because of the leasing part, they still might not do as great of a job. And we didn't feel that they were going to respond as quickly to like the Facebook ads and things like that and constantly be monitoring that. So we felt just hiring that out separately and renegotiating lease up fee. So the lease up fee now with our property manager is, um, I believe we reduced it down to 25% or I think is what we're at right now of the first month's rent um, instead of 75% what it was. And we're, the reason why we're still paying them is because they still got to do the background checks and sure. and bet, out, bet them out and, and do the whole application process. So we're still going to pay them a little bit. I love that you found a creative solution to this problem. And there's a good lesson there in, in not firing a, a property manager just just because you're not satisfied with one aspect of their work. So really commend you for that. Okay. So what's next? You had some challenges with the marketing, but then you figured that out. Okay. We can lease them up. Uh, What else happened at this property? So then things started breaking and things started breaking (laughs) that we knew, we knew what were, okay. So when we got our property inspection, right, we knew that some of the uh, air conditioners were aged, you know, it's, it's impossible sometimes to know the exact age of an air conditioner, but like they can inspect and say, okay, this is an older air conditioner that, you know, has roughly this amount of life. They'll kind of give you like a range, like it's, they got categories of how long they think it'll last. And some of them are critical and the rest of them, there were some new ones and some that looked like they would be fine for another couple of years. Well, uh, they started dropping like flies. I mean, we were probably averaging about two air conditioners a month through the summer that would break. And each one to replace an HVAC is about $4,100 or right around four grand to replace that. So you do that math and that's an enormous addition to your expenses that you were, that you might not have been expecting. You know, we might've expected maybe one every other month or one a month would, would maybe be a little bit more reasonable and you're getting about two a month. That's a lot. So that was a huge expense that um, started hitting us very quickly. Another expense that hit us and got kind of expensive was that the um, sewer drain uh, needed to be replaced. There was, um, it, it was, an old drain that was clogging very easily and causing some backups and there was some roots growing in it and whatnot. And when we got that looked at, we kind of knew going into the property because we did get the, the, the line snaked with a camera, which I recommend everyone watching always check the sewer lines. They are expensive. Yes. Get a camera down there. So we did that and knew that, uh, that some of them were bad and it turns out we had to replace all of them. So that was like $20,000. So that was a big hit. Um, so what was then, the, what was your plan going in? You know, you know, okay, visually you can walk and see some of these AC units look mm-hmm. look old, and you know you did the camera, so you thought you might have been okay. That's an unfortunate, you know. And, and by the way, I agree, always snake the lines you know, with the camera. But as you 
just heard that it's not a perfect uh, yep. scenario because you, you don't know. And sometimes they, they go, if you, even if you put a camera down them. Mm-hmm. So uh, what was the plan going in? I mean, you had, first off, was your debt set up like a, like a bridge debt or you, were you bringing the renovation money in cash? Like, did you have to go to a bank every time you needed to do renovations? What was the plan? So the plan, we actually had cash through the renovations. We looked at this property and knew we were going, we had to replace all the balconies because the balconies were in really bad shape. So we knew we had to replace the balconies. Um, we needed to eventually replace the windows and then basically all new interiors, you name it. And we basically redid the interiors, right? Um, so we had all of that in the plans and some of the common areas like the hallways were renovating. So we really had the money for that. And, uh, but it was a little bit close. I would say that we were undercapitalized and we've learned a lot of important lessons on going in overcapitalized. However much money you think you need, you need to have a contingency as well, just in case random things go wrong and they will more than likely. So doesn't that hurt the returns? Doesn't that hurt the way that the uh, property looks on the spreadsheet? And it does. And, but that's the thing is that it's, if your property, if you can, if you stress test it and you're really conservative in your underwriting, you're going to save yourself from potentially putting yourself in a bad situation. And if you're taking money from investors, that's even worse. So we've learned now and and through mentorship now are more aware as well as being extremely conservative and accounting for these things. And if it doesn't pencil out, then move on to the next deal. Your deal needs to pencil out while it's conservative and through the stress test. And if it's skinny, and things go wrong. It only takes one really bad deal with you taking money from investors to ruin your reputation. And then no one's ever going to invest with you again. Correct. So if you're, if you're struggling to find deals that meet your stress tests and all these extra reserves and stuff like that, keep looking. That's just part of this game. It might take you six months or eight months to find a deal. So with this deal, um, more things kept going wrong. Mold would pop up because there was a roof leak all of a sudden and a huge mold problem in like two apartments. That's thousands of dollars. So as things started to go wrong, we realized, okay, um, we're going to get so skinny to where we're going to have like, you know, we might make it to the end of the business plan, but we're going to have like no money left and this is not safe. And now COVID's hitting. We closed last December. Oh, and so, good timing. So COVID's here. And now all of a sudden our issues with trying to turn this property around become a little bit scarier. And we knew that if we didn't prepare ourselves for a bad time, more bad times, then we could all of a sudden run out of money. And if your business is out of cash, you're toast. So we started looking for debt from uh, private people. And luckily, we have a friend and partner whose father um, has, is retired and was willing. He does a lot of hard money lending. He'll, he'll invest his money with hard money companies who then lend out to you know people that are flipping houses or whatever. So we had worked out a deal with them to let us borrow $200,000 at 6% interest, interest only payments. And in order to do that, we had to personally guarantee that debt because we couldn't secure it to the property. Uh, the bank wouldn't let them. Right. And so to put some kind of collateral, he said, okay, fine. You guys personally guarantee it, have your money on there and, uh, or yourselves as, as the guarantee. And, and he would do it for us. So that was able to give us $200,000 cash to basically give us enough reserves and enough to finish all of our projects. And that was really the saving grace because now we've been able to continue our business plan. We're almost finished replacing all the balconies. All the windows will be replaced here soon. Fascia and stuff and everything is going to be painted. It's going to look beautiful from the street. The grass has been treated all year long. So it's looking beautiful. And the units look great on the inside. We only have 10 units left out of the 32 to renovate. We're starting to blow our projections out of the water now. Now we're getting even more rent because the property looks great. 
and we're able to start implementing rubs and people are willingly uh, getting on our rubs program. We didn't do that at first because we didn't feel like, hey, everybody come to our property that's got these crappy looking balconies hanging down. The interior looks great though. And we're gonna charge you this amount of rent and charge you for utilities. And it's during COVID. So we were like, okay, we'll implement this later. Mm-hmm. And so now we're starting to implement rubs, which is also increasing our income and, and things are looking brighter. But you know, it was pretty ugly there for a little while. So many parallels uh, between what you're going through and, and the 40 unit that I did my first indication, um, which I've spoken about on the show. But yeah, it, same idea. You know, you start running out of cash. What are you going to do? How do you like at some point there's no way out. So I, I love your creative solution of, of bringing on a private loan to handle those ACs, to handle those unexpected expenses. And, uh, you know, to your point, you have to have enough capital going in. If, if you if you're trying to skimp by and cut it out. Um, it's, it's not like a 10% contingency is not going to cover it on your, on mm-hmm. your CapEx budget. You need to have enough to handle some bigger expenses, especially because on a property 32 units in size, you know, an AC costs the same on, on a 32 unit as it does on a, on a hundred unit. Right. And so the, the bigger properties are going to have a little more wiggle room in their operations budget, mm-hmm. smaller property like that. There's, there's no extra dollars to go around. And so you've got to have that cash. Coming there is. In and I, I'd like to piggyback off of that too. Don't do this for all the listeners that are out there. Don't say to yourself, eh, it's close, but we'll just use the cash flow from the property to finish paying for renovations. That doesn't work. It, it, it sounds like, you know, like I know so many people, us ourselves thought, okay, it's getting a little close, but we'll just rely on the cash flow from the property. That's cutting it too close. And so many people make that same mistake when they first get into this business. Just please don't make that mistake. If you don't have enough money, you don't have enough money. Then raise more money, get another partner, or go for a smaller property. But you need to be overcapitalized um, in the right amount of overcapitalized. But uh, don't just rely on the property's cash flow to pay for it because if the property all of a sudden isn't paying cash flow when you thought it was, uh, now nah, nah, it's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that tough, uh, tough moment with us. Um, so where you, you, you hinted at, you know, property's doing better now where we've now gone through that, that tough summer of, of the ACs going, mm-hmm. um, you said rents are, are climbing, occupancy is up. Uh, so then what's next? What's, what's happening in the future? Have you bought any property since then? I have not bought any property since then, but we have an offer that we submitted yesterday. So since Ooh. then we've gotten, um, like I said, we've gotten some mentors who are well-established in this game. They've had over 8,000 units at one point. And, uh, these guys, um, our personal mentors that have been teaching us how to not make these same mistakes. We've learned from mistakes and now we're learning to be even more conservative, but um, we're partnering with our mentors on a 160 unit deal that we just got an offering on it. So uh, that's, yeah, that, we'll, we'll see how that goes. It's going to be a competitive deal. It's just outside of Nashville. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But um, uh, you know, it's, it's taking a while because like I said, we're much more conservative now. And so even though we've underwritten properties and bench expressed interest in a lot of properties, this is the first one where we might stay in a shot this year at actually closing on a deal. Um, it's, it's been tough going through COVID. That's for sure. Yeah, it has, it has been tough. Deals have been lending financing has, has all been up in the air, um, but people are doing it and uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you will as well. So, Thank you, uh, Sean, for, for coming on the show. Uh, remind everyone about the podcast and where they can find out more about you and your company. Yes, thanks again. Um, please check out our podcast, The Multifamily Takeoff. You can find us at themultifamilytakeoff.com where you can check out our blog as well, learn more about us and uh, check out some episodes. You can find us on iTunes and Spotify. 
and all that. And uh, don't, you know, don't hesitate to reach out to me personally. Uh, you can find me at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at the multifamilytakeoff.com. That's my direct email. Feel free to email me. Email me. And uh, if you have any questions or want some advice, I'd be happy to share more scary stories that uh, you can learn from. <laughs> well, we'll have to have you back on the show for some more of those scary stories. It is Halloween is coming, so let's do it. <laughs> Spooky um, season, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Sean, thank you so much. If you guys like this episode, uh, more information on Sean and links to all of his podcasts and everything else is on our website, truemultifamily.show. Please check it out. Also leave a rating and review. Let us know if you liked this episode. With that, uh, we'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening, Sean. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We will see you next Thank time. you. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.